That's what we're asking you to do is to join together in pursuit of lostness. Lostness is not something that just happens right here where we can see it. It happens all over the world. Every year at this time, during the Advent season, we collect money for what's known as the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. The offering is named after Lottie Moon, who was not a very large individual. Lottie was under five feet tall. We have a life-size poster of her that the kids are using this morning, and I'll show it to you next week. But she had a large vision because she believed that God was the answer to the world's problem. And she went. She gave her life to serving the Lord in China, seeking to reach the lost. And over the course of her life, she wrote thousands of letters to individuals, to churches, asking them to be a part of the pursuit of those individuals. And so during this time, we, our network of churches, collect money to send and support our international missionaries so that they don't have to raise support. They can focus on the problem where they're at. And you saw in that video that there are still thousands of people, groups, and languages that have no presence. So maybe even during this time, God is stirring up in your heart that you would be one of those that would go and that you would benefit from this offering in the future. I, I would love over this Advent season for our church to, to not just meet a goal of a certain dollar amount, but to become more connected with what's happening missionally around the world. Um, and so uh, when you leave the service this morning, there's a table in the lobby that has Lottie Moon resources, um, information about the International Mission Board and what that process looks like, if you're even interested in that. Um, one of the things you're going to find on that table are some prayer cards. Um, <clears throat> and just for the sake of protection, I'm not going to tell you the names of uh, who's on those cards. You can find those in the lobby um, after the service. But this couple uh, is serving with the IMB, and they are specifically partnered with Restoration Church. Um, so their responsibility is to communicate back and forth uh, to us. Um, and um, if it means anything to you, um, they are both cyclones. So... Um, Maybe that helps a little bit just in the connection, but um, I would love for us as a church to, uh, over the next several weeks, to give to that. Um, you can give in the offering box. You can give online, designate it to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I'd love for us to collectively raise uh, $1,200 um, towards that goal, um, and uh, you're just going to hear us talk um, more about that because I think God calls us to be a part of the pursuit of lostness because he has pursued us. And we're going to see that this morning in our text. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we love you. God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you saw us in our lostness. God, you saw us in our brokenness. And Lord, you pursued us. We've seen this from the beginning, God, that you are a God of pursuit God, you are pursuing individuals, you're pursuing groups of people. 
all for your glory, God, because you alone are worthy of all praise. God, as we see that pursuit, as we anxiously await the coming of the King, God, would you draw us near to you? Lord, that we would be involved in the pursuit of others as you're pursuing us. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, I, I don't know what, can we turn this down a little? Like, it's vibrating back to me. Um, I don't know what that is, but <clears throat> everybody loves that there's snow for the first week of Advent, right? What doesn't love that is my sinuses, and so one of my ears is clogged. So uh, if you approach me, please approach on the right today, um, because I'm not hearing much out of the left. But anyway, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, here's what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to go to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Now, over the next several weeks in our Advent series entitled The Humble King, we're going to work through uh, different seasons of the life of Christ. Right? Uh, th- this is a particular season of anticipation of the coming king. And so as we move through this season of anticipation, we're going to look at all the seasons of Jesus' life. And this morning, we start with his lineage. Matthew's account here. I'll just read verse 1 of chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, many of us, I know, we get to a section with names, and it's like, okay, I read one verse, I read a couple of names, the ones I can pronounce, and now I'm just going to skip the rest of them, right? We, we do that. We, we can admit that. There's a lot of names here that, <clears throat> here's, here's my... Um, Here's my plan of attack when you come to names in the scripture. Even if you pronounce it wrong, just pronounce it confidently, right? Just say it confidently because if you're reading out loud and you come to a name and you just pronounce it confidently, nobody knows if you're pronouncing it right or wrong. They just know that you met that challenge and you just did it confidently, right? In the name of the Lord. There's a lot of names here, and some of them, as you read through these first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel account, some of these names will jog your memory. You'll you'll see some, some names that are familiar to you, but I think here's the question that we have to ask. When we come to a genealogy like this, Matthew calls it the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Why is it even important? Because all of us probably have somebody in our family who has drank the Ancestry.com Kool-Aid, right? And it may be you, and it may not be you, right? But they've, they've just dove right into it, like, i got to figure out where we came from, right? Now, some of us, if you're like me, like you probably want to dig in because you want to figure out what your like, crest your family crest is from across the, the pond, right? Because you want to get it tattooed on you somewhere, right? And some of us, like we encounter those people who just talk about all the ancestry things and are like, can you just stop? Like, I care about the here and the now, what's happening? But yet when you come to the scriptures, 
there's these ancestry accounts, specifically of Jesus Christ himself. So why is this important? It's important for this reason, this take-home truth this morning. The humble lineage of the king is one that we can relate to. I don't know about you, but maybe when you come to a list of names like this, you want to skip over it because you think there's nothing here that I can relate to. I don't even know how to pronounce some of these names. How in the world could I learn anything from it? But I'm confident in what God is saying through his words and the reasons that these names are printed here, that there is something for us to learn. And it's because this lineage of the king is something that we can relate to. Listen, there's three things that I want us to see here this morning. And I'm not going to read through all these names because nobody wants to know if I can confidently pronounce them or not, right? There's three sections that Matthew gives us in this genealogy account. And what's interesting is you'll see this at the end of our section this morning. If you look at verse 17... He says this, so all the generations from Abraham to David, this is the first section, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. Second section. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Three sections in the lineage of Jesus that he's given us here this morning. Now what's interesting is, if you know anything about numbers in the scriptures, is that you will often see certain numbers used and repeated, right? Oftentimes you will see the numbers three and the numbers seven. Yes? We serve one God in three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. Three, right? The number seven is the number of perfection. How many days did it take God to create the world? Six. I tricked you. He rested on the seventh day, right? Seven, this number of perfection. Isn't it interesting that when Matthew lays out the genealogy of Jesus, he uses seven twice to get 14 in three different groupings. There's perfection in the genealogy of Jesus, which means there's, there's no mistake here in the names that are involved. You see, the first thing that I want us to see about the humble lineage of Christ is God's nation being formed. You see, this first section, Abraham to David, God's nation is formed. If you look at Genesis 12, you can write these references down. Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's nation is formed. Now, many of us, I I think, when we hear the word nation, we have a specific present-day understanding of that, right? Some of us would say we live in the greatest nation, right? But what if the greatest nation was actually the nation of a person and not a country? 
What if the greatest nation is from the king, not solidified by a geographical area? You see, when God called Abram, he said, pick up your things and leave your land to go. I'll tell you when you get there, but I want you to go and I'm going to make you a great nation. You see, you look at this first section, verses 2 through 6, you encounter some different names. You encounter the name of Isaac, the promised son of Abraham. You encounter Jacob, a twin, the son of Isaac, who was a trickster. Some of us dig into our ancestry because those are the stories we want to find, right? Like, what's the unique thing? Like, what did that family member do? You see, we read the genealogy of Jesus and we know some of these names and oftentimes we think about the big things that they're known for, right? Jacob wrestled with God. Yeah, you know, you know that story? Jacob wrestled with God. God touched his hip and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. You know the name Israel? The nation of Israel? But see, oftentimes what we don't talk about is the fact that Jacob wasn't the firstborn. He shouldn't have even received the blessing from his father because he tricked his father into giving him the blessing rather than his brother. The humble lineage of Jesus has a trickster. And then it goes even further when you come to the name Judah. See, Judah was one of the sons of Israel, but he wasn't the oldest. He also shouldn't have received the blessing. He was an unlikely recipient of the blessing, but yet if you know the prophecies, you know that the promised Messiah would come from the what? From the line of Judah. The humble lineage of Jesus includes a promised son in Isaac, a trickster in Jacob, an unlikely blessing in Judah, and then, oh, by the way, there's this Canaanite named Tamar. Not a Jew. But yet he's the king of the Jews. So how could this woman end up in the lineage of Jesus. Well, you see, it's because it's a humble lineage because then you also come to the prostitute, Rahab. Things that if we know certain details about certain members of our family, we leave those details out, right? Because we don't want people to think of us differently because I'm related to that person. And yet here's Matthew's gospel account of the lineage of the promised Messiah saying, yep, there's a Canaanite woman who's a part of that. Yeah, there's a trickster. Yes, there's a prostitute. But oh, by the way, there's a man named Boaz who was a redeemer, who stepped in to redeem his family. Who did he redeem? Ruth, who was also not a Jew. She was a Moabite woman. And then you come to David. Verse 5. 
Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And we like David, right? You know who didn't have a lot of confidence in David? His dad. See, because the prophet Samuel had come to anoint the next king of God's nation, the nation of Israel, and Jesse puts every single son that he has in front of the prophet, and the prophet says, no, that's not the one. And finally, the prophet says, well, are there any others? (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's my youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Maybe you should go get him. And it's the youngest son, the unlikely one to be chosen, who's anointed the next king of Israel. You see, God was forming a nation to be different, to be set apart from the other nations, to be one of humble lineage. So David, the youngest, is chosen to lead this nation, but I think what is so interesting is that through all of these generations, all of these people, God's purpose is to form his nation, his people who would worship him alone, to be separate from the other nations around them, right? And do you know what has taken place before David is anointed king? The people of God said, we want to be like the other generation, like the other nations. We want a king. So God gave them what they wanted. A man named Saul, anointed king, who quickly would deny God, who would quickly run the country the way that he wanted to run the country, not acknowledging the presence of God, not receiving the blessings of God. And so God anoints Samuel as a prophet to go anoint the next king of Israel, David, the youngest, the one who his own dad wouldn't put him forth as an option. God's forming a nation To be different and set apart from the other nations. And that nation says, we want to be like the others. So the second section of the genealogy of Jesus, one nation under king. I'll give you what you want. Right? I'll give you what you want. So David was the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. You know anything about that story? You know who the wife of Uriah is? Bathsheba. Who David, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Look, I'm going to sit this down so I can use both hands, okay? Let's talk about this for a minute. The king, the king of God's nation fighting against God's enemies is on his rooftop watching a woman take a bath while his nation is at war. Is that somebody you want to follow? Is that somebody that you want to follow? 
Like, if the leader says, here's what I want you to do while I stay here and do what I want to do, like, is that somebody you want to follow? Like, let's think about that, right? Like, we love King David, right? Slayed the giant. Love it. I got giants in my life. God, slay those giants like you used David to slay the giant, right? That's not what that means. But I love David because God called David a man after his own heart. You know that God called David a man after his own heart after he had sinned with Bathsheba? Do you know that King David couldn't repent of his sin until he was tricked into understanding that he was the problem? Nathan comes to King David and says, well, what would you do if this person did this to you? I'd take care of him, right? David, you're that person. You've done that. Not only did you take a woman that wasn't your wife, you impregnated her and then took her husband and put him at the front line of the war to have him killed. That's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, King David. And yet... God used a man like David to do so much for God's kingdom. Can you relate to this ancestry? Right? You got some crazy people in your family? Like, yeah, I remember that one. I don't like to tell that story. Right? But we always want to dig around. Like, is there somebody famous that I'm related to? Right? Like, how many degrees of separation do I have from Kevin Bacon? That's important to know, right? We want to find the popular ones, and David oftentimes would be a popular one, but we don't want to talk about the bad things that they did. We just want to celebrate the right things. And so we leave out part of the story, right? When you leave out that part of the story, you almost minimize the humility of the lineage of Jesus. You see, because God is humbling all of these people who are a part of it, but he's creating this moment knowing that the people are anticipating the promised Messiah in a specific way. And it's not the way that he would come. Matthew's account of the lineage of Jesus can be considered the official genealogy. And the reason it's considered the official genealogy of Jesus is because he's following the succession of the throne. Specifically in this second section, right? He's ended the first section with David, the king, and now he enters into the second section with David, who's the father of Solomon, who would become king, right? And then Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, who would also become king. And he continues to follow this line. But here's what we need to understand about Israel. You see, God was forming a nation that he wanted to be separate and different from the other nations, but the nation of Israel said, we want to be like everyone else, right? We want a king. So he gives them a king, Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then, oh, the nation fractures. You see, the nation of Israel actually split into two. The southern kingdom would become known as Judah and the northern kingdom would become known as Israel. So if you read through, <clears throat> listen to me because I know you're all going to do this next year, right? When you read through the Bible in a year. 
When you read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, we're all going to do that. Yes, yeah, okay. <clears throat> You're going to encounter all of these names of kings. Now, what becomes difficult to track if you're not listening, when you're listening through the audio Bible, you have to make sure that you know which king is in which kingdom, because they've split. There's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom, right? Most of the northern kingdom, Israel, is known for bad kings. Lots and lots of bad kings which would then end in their demise when Assyria would attack them. Assyria attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, <clears throat> ransacked Samaria, the capital, and would take many of them away in the captivity. A handful of years later, the same thing would happen to the southern kingdom, Judah. Right? Now you have to remember that the blessing was given to Judah. The Messiah is coming from the tribe of Judah. Right? It doesn't mean that the northern kingdom isn't important to the history of Israel. It just means that certain things are going to happen in the southern kingdom that we need to be tracking with. Right? Which is why I want to draw this out to you. If you look at verse 9, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. You heard Hezekiah? You know who that is, right? We joke about it, right? Because when you don't know where a particular verse in the scripture is, it's in the book of Hezekiah, right? Which is how you figure out if people are reading the Bible because there's no book named Hezekiah. Okay? You tracking with me? But King Hezekiah was a good king in the southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah is known for taking the southern kingdom of Judah and turning them back to the God of Israel. He takes down their idol worship of the God of Baal. And he hides all of the altars. He leads them to worship the God who created them, the God who protects them, the God who leads them. Hezekiah was a good king, but man, when you read verse 10, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh is known as one of the worst kings in Judah. Now, I know that none of us would ever do this to our father. But as soon as Manasseh became king, he undid everything that his dad had done. And none of us would do that, right? We would never take the things that our ancestors have set up and then ransack them and turn them on its head and do the exact opposite, right? I'm being sarcastic with us because we do that all the time. Yes? And I'm going to tell you why in a minute when we get to this last section. But here's what I want us to understand in this humble lineage of Jesus. How quickly things change. 
It's not a few generations later. You see this? I think I pulled something. I just slid right across that. You guys saw that? We're going to snowboard him. <clears throat> that was a joke. I'm not snowboarding. It's not a few generations down the road when the problems start back. It's immediately. And it happens as soon as, listen to me, it happens as soon as we take our eyes off of the king. And not the earthly king. I'm talking about the heavenly king. Because as soon as we take our eyes off of God, we start looking around us. When you take your eyes off God, that's when you start saying, I want to be like everybody else. I want a king too, right? When you take your eyes off of God, you start saying, well, I want our church to look like this. I, I, you see what that other church is doing? That's what I want us to do. But what about what God's telling us to do? You see, you have to have your eyes fixed on God himself because when you take your eyes off, things change so quickly. It's not multiple generations down the road. No, it's the son of Hezekiah, the good king. Manasseh digs out all the altars that his father put away. He rebuilds the high places to worship the God of Baal. And he leads the nation of Judah to do that for the next 55 years. Things change so quickly. But yet, isn't it interesting that Matthew doesn't leave that part out of the genealogy of Jesus? No, this book that I'm telling you about, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the book of beginnings, this is the, the family lineage of Jesus. You see, all these things are important. There's a few other good kings who come after Manasseh, but at that point, they are quickly moving to exile. Now Babylon would overtake the southern kingdom of Judah, haul off many of them to Babylon. But God had promised them, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to the land that I've given to you. Yes, you're going to go into exile, but you're going to come back. Verse 12, and after the deportation to Babylon, you see, this is, this is the thing that I really want us to understand from this morning about this humble lineage is that we need to learn from our past. We need to learn from our past. I think this is what the people of God were experiencing in this moment, right? In this season of time. Because you, you got you to understand that some of the people that are coming out of Babylon and coming back to Israel were actually born in exile. They hadn't lived in Judea and then been taken off to captivity and now brought back. Some of them had, yes. But some of them that are coming back to Jerusalem and to the other cities, they were born in exile. Which means if they don't learn from their past, what are they going to do? Repeat it. Repeat it. Post 
exile. They need to learn. We're unsure of the source that Matthew is using here in this particular section. But he gets to the end of verse 15. And Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. If it was left up to me to write this particular genealogy of Jesus, I think there are some names that I'd probably want to leave out, right? Like if we really want people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, wouldn't we want him to come from a particular line, right? One that's a line of perfection and one that doesn't have these, these bad kings and these foreigners and, and, and prostitutes and, and all of these, right? Like, wouldn't we want it to be one of perfection? But that's not what God does. Because in the midst of all of this, God is humbling his people, but he's creating this humble moment to bring Jesus into the world in a very unexpected way. You see, the people coming back from exile need to learn from their past. I think we need to do the same. Would you agree? <clears throat> and I want, you to, I want you to write these three things down. Because I, I think we need to get on the same page about what it means to learn from our past. Right? Because we need to learn, not forget. We need to learn and not forget. I think some of this is here in the genealogy of Jesus so that the people wouldn't forget what had happened before, right? They were passing down the stories from generations before them so that the people wouldn't forget what had transpired. Do you know why the people of Judah went into exile in Babylon for 70 years? Do you know why it was 70 years? Because they hadn't observed the Sabbath. So God would allow their enemies to take them into captivity for 70 years. The amount of time that they had taken to not observe the Sabbath. Do you know what happens when you don't learn from your past? When you try to forget it, you oftentimes repeat it. And how quickly would the people forget to observe the Sabbath again? How quickly have we lost the desire to observe a day of rest? And yet God commands us to rest. You see, we need to learn from our past, not forget. We need to learn from our past and not deny it. See, we need to accept what's happened in our past. Whether it was something that you or I have done, whether it's something that our ancestors have done, regardless of what it is, we need to accept those things and not deny it. Because when you deny it, you act like it never happened. Which in turn means you're not learning from it. Which in turn means that you're doomed to forget, to 
repeat it. We shouldn't deny it. We should learn from it. And if here's what I think happens. If we start to deny the past, we forget to learn and we try to rewrite it. So we need to learn from our past, not rewrite it. We can't deny that the things have happened in the past and we can't act like they didn't happen and just dismiss them away. But we also can't change the things that happened in the past. Can you hear me on that? We cannot change the things that have happened in the past. You cannot go back and take pages out of historical books and rewrite the history. Because it happened a very specific way. We have to learn from that so that we don't repeat it. But when we try to deny it and we try to rewrite it, then we end up repeating it. And we have generations who are coming up behind us who don't know what happened. And they don't understand the full context of it. These people of God coming back from exile would have experienced the same things. You see, I think the people had been humbled. They'd been overtaken by an enemy. They'd been carried off into that land, away from the land that God had given to them to live there. And then God rescued them and brought them back. They'd been humble, right? But oh, how quickly they would forget. It's that humble moment that the humble king would come. 